Good morning, church. How are you today? Everybody good? Give the praise team a big hand. Appreciate their ministry and music. And uh, man, I tell you what, it's a, it's a great day. I'm so excited to be able to share with you uh, an awesome passage of scripture today from God's word. We are the church. I mean, we are the church. The church is not a, a building. The church is the body of Christ. It is a group of people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, and they're on fire with the Holy Spirit of God. We are the church. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is issuing an urgent call to on-mission living. He's calling us to engage our city and our world with his love. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, let me remind you what we talked about last Sunday because I'm piggybacking on last Sunday's message. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper in witnessing. That is, the Holy Spirit of God gives us the courage to be a witness for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God will give us the words to say to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we have been called to do. We have been called to share the good news. That's who we are. We are people of the good news. And that is what we do. We share the good news. We engage our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Right here in the River Valley... Yeah, seven days a week, that's what we ought to be doing. I know you got a job to go to, you have things you have to do, but as we go about our daily duties, we are to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We do that right here in the River Valley, but we also do it everywhere we go. And there's going to be a group of us going to Puerto Rico. Uh, actually, the first group departs on Friday. There's a group going on Saturday. There'll be another group leaving at 5.30 Sunday morning, and then a fourth group leaving on Monday morning at 5.30. You're saying, well, why didn't y'all just all go together? Well, it's kind of hard to put 39 of us together on airplane, uh, airplane and go. So we had to break it up, but many will not be here next Sunday. They'll already left to go to Puerto Rico. And today's message is for that group who is going, but it's for the rest of us who stay behind and live our life daily in the River Valley. And I'm going to have a commissioning service at the very end of this preaching time where we commission our missionaries going to Puerto Rico. We also have another young man, uh, James Henry Christian. I'm so proud of James. He's, he's been called to preach. Uh, we prayed for him specifically in the first service. Right now he's back in kids' church helping out. But James is going to be leaving on Wednesday. He's been chosen to be on the E-Team, which is a group of young people from our Free Will Baptist denomination who will serve as summer missionaries. And James Henry is going to Panama. Okay, We're, we're commissioning him to go to Panama. We've already prayed for him. We'll pray for him this service as well. Here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses two very simple yet very powerful images to drive home this truth of who we are and what we do. So let me read this passage to you. Matthew chapter 5, let's start in verse number 13. Jesus said, and he's talking to you guys, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor 
or if it loses its saltiness, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bushel, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to everyone who is in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would learn today how to be salt and light. I pray, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit speak to our lives and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, notice that these verses explain to us several things. The first thing is this. These verses tell us who we are, okay? And who are we? Well, verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth. So we are salt. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're salt. Now, don't have a conversation with them. Just tell them you're, you're salt, all right? And then number two, verse 14, you are the light of the world. So look at your neighbor and say, you're light, all right? This teaching of Jesus can really be summed up in a single word, and I will use the word impact or influence. We are to live our life as salt and light. That is, we are to have an impact on our world. We are to have an influence on the people around us. Now, it, it seems to, be, to me to be a natural universal longing of the human spirit to make a difference in your life. That is to make an impact or to be an influence, to know that our lives have counted for something. Now, am I alone in this? But I tell you, I think about this almost every day. I, it's my hope and prayer that when I'm dead and gone, I will have made an impact in my world, that I would have influenced at least somebody <laughs> for the good of the gospel. Angie and I were talking about this on the way home last night. We were in, in Dallas. Uh, Josh Rankin got married, and, and we were driving back from that wedding. It was, it, was a, a, it was a wedding in Texas, which couldn't be better. Okay? But, it, Gary, it was outside. It was at Larry Norrell's ranch, all right? And it was outside with no shade, and we were just flat burning up out there. And, uh, but, but you know what? It was in Texas, so it was Okay. Driving home last night, we had had, a, we had had a hard, busy week, and I was sitting over there behind the wheel driving, and I was thinking about today and everything that was going to happen, and, you know, I was just kind of mumbling to myself, and, and I don't know why it came out of my mouth, but th there's, there's just a grind every week that, that come around Sunday, th it, 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 it's a grind, man, 52 weeks, uh, uh, weeks a year, 52 times a year, Sunday comes around, and you got to be ready for Sunday. If you lead the worship and if you preach, I mean, you, you got to be ready. And, and so I, I just kind of mumbled out of my mouth, I wonder if we're making a difference. You know, really, and, and Angie and I had this long conversation several miles down the road. Are, are we really making a difference? With, with what we do every Sunday at Kavanaugh Church, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that because sometimes it, it really is a question in my mind, are, are we really making a difference? You know, am I making a difference in my life? 
with, with what I do and what I preach and, and my influence on people, am I really making a difference? I'll tell you what, I want to make a difference. I want to be an influence. I want to make an impact. Don't you? How many of y'all remember what you were doing August the 16th, 1977? Well, let me just back up. Who was even born 1977 in here, right? Does anybody, put your hands down, does anybody remember August the 16th, 1977? Oh, don't say it. Oh, you said it. But you're right. Okay, you're right. I should have, anyway, you stole my thunder. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I got a story about it. I remember August 16th, 1977, because on August 15th, I turned 16 years old. Got my driver's license, August 15, 1977. Had a car, Laguna SS. Remember that car? Says, oh, man, it was a great car. It, the front seat actually swiveled. Do you remember those cars? That, the seat swiveled. So when I got out of it, I'd swivel, got to slide out, you know. <laughs> then when I got in, I'd just slide back in, swivel around. It was pretty fast. Had a, had a beefed up 350 in it. But that, that's not what I remember August the 16th about, even though I'd been driving a day legally. <laughs> just... You can figure that out on your own. Uh, I was a junior in high school. I went to school half a day, worked half a day. And so I'd already gotten out of school at 1130, went and got a bite to eat, and went to my job, which was at Hester True Value Hardware Store in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, every day I went to work there. About 3 o'clock, we had break time. And one of us, or a couple of us, would go down the alley on 34th Street to the Dariette, which was like four buildings down, and we would buy drinks and, and Coke floats and ice cream and, and bring it back for the other employees. That day was my turn to go down the alley to the Dariette, but Wes, I didn't walk because I had my license. So Ken, I went and I got, I slid in, I spun around, I drove down the alley, I peeled out going down the alley. And, I drove down to the Dariette, and I drove through the drive-thru window, and the, the little girl, I can't remember her name, but I remember her face. She had chubby little cheeks, and they were beet red, and tears were just flowing out of her eyes. She was crying uncontrollably, and I said to her, what's wrong? And she mumbled something that I didn't understand. I said, what's wrong? And she said, Elvis died. Elvis is dead. She had a real southern accent. I said, Elvis died? She said, yes. <laughs> Couldn't even take my order because Elvis said, sure enough, 7 o'clock that morning, Elvis died. August 16th, 1970. At least we think he died. I mean, <laughs> are you with me? How many of y'all remember Elvis? Woo, come on, hey. Yeah. My dad knew Elvis. He met him personally. Uh, years, years before that, Elvis just, just started singing, and he was in Midland, Texas for some reason. I don't know why, but they were at the movie theater, and my dad bumped cars with Elvis. And I think my dad got out and called him a jerk, but I'm not for sure about that. But that was before Elvis was big. Everybody's got Elvis. My Elvis story actually is uh, Elvis's stepbrother. I went to seminary with Elvis's stepbrother, a guy named Rick Stanley, few years older than me, uh, Rick's mother had three kids. His father was very abusive, would beat Rick up as a little boy, six years old. She finally divorced him and left him, 
and fell in love with Elvis's real dad, Vernon Presley. Back in 1958, Elvis's mother passed away, so Vernon was single. 1960, he met Rick's mother, and the two fell in love, and, and they got married. Uh, Rick tells the story that, you know, as a little boy, all he knew was abuse from his dad. There was no love in his family. And for a while, he was living in an orphanage with his two brothers until finally his mother got the divorce and met Vernon. Uh, they took him out of the orphanage and took him to Graceland. And there he met his stepbrother, Elvis Presley, who was in his late 20s. And Rick said, I was a six-year-old kid, had never had a man in my life tell me that they love me. And he said, I'll never forget Elvis Presley picked me up and gave me a hug and said, son, you're at home and I love you. And so he grew up in Elvis's home. He became Elvis's aide. Elvis sent him to school to learn Taekwondo. He became Elvis's bodyguard. And he was with Elvis eight hours before he died. I can remember staying up one night studying for a, a, a preaching exam. And there was four of us guys. And El, uh, Rick Stanley was in the group. And finally about two o'clock in the morning we quit studying. And he told us Elvis stories. Yeah. And I can remember him telling us how miserable Elvis was. And I've read articles about this. They say that even though Elvis had enormous success, he was very unhappy and very unfulfilled. I've read an article written by his wife Priscilla, and she said Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose was in life. He thought he was here for a reason. She said, maybe to preach. Now think about that. That's interesting. Or maybe to serve. Or maybe to care for people. And that agonizing desire was always with him because he knew he was not fulfilling his purpose in life. And she said he would get up on stage and at least for a few hours wouldn't have to think about it. Now, guys, I, I don't know, but, but I would say there are a whole lot of people like Elvis who just really don't know why they're here. They know they're here for a reason, but they're not fulfilled because they are not fulfilling their purpose in life. But can I tell you something? When you come to Jesus Christ, you find out who you are. You find out what God made you to do and why you are here. You have a purpose for living. Jesus explains for us in very clear terms who we are as his followers. He said two things. You are salt and you are light. And can I tell you something, church? Both salt and light impact everything that they touch. Salt is not neutral. Light is not neutral. They both make an impact, and that is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus said, you are the salt. He said, you are the light. That is our identity as followers of Jesus. In fact, more accurately, it's, it's this. You and you only are salt. You and you only are light. Jesus is saying, I have no other salt and I have no other light. Tag, you're it. But not only that, 
The word you is best translated in the plural because it is plural. He's really saying you all, or can I say y'all? <laughs> y'all are my salt and y'all are my light. That is, not only are we the salt and light of Jesus individually as individual Christians, we are God's salt and we are God's light as the church of Jesus Christ. Corporately, we are his salt and light. And notice that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus means for his church to engage the world in which we live. Here's the problem. Many believers today have retreated into this church monastery type thinking. And all we do is get in our little holy huddles, and the only people we have contact with are church people and Christians. And you know what? That's okay to an extent, but you tell me, how can we impact our world and influence our world if all we're doing is hanging out in holy huddles? I mean, we've got to be in the real world, dealing with real people, if we are going to be the salt and the light to them. Amen? Wow. So that's who we are. We're salt and light. He goes on to tell us, number two, what we do. And we do two things. Number one, we stop the decay. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what he is referring to when he calls us salt. But historians tell us that salt was a, a very important part of everyday life in the ancient world in which Jesus lived. And we know that salt was used for a variety of things. For example, soldiers, military men, were often paid with salt because it was a valuable commodity. You had to have salt, and so many times that was part of their pay package. They, they were paid in salt. And if somebody was not a good soldier, it was said of them that they weren't worth their salt. Have you ever heard that term? He's not worth his salt. Well, it came from that. Salt was also exchanged as a sign of friendship. It was used as a seal for a covenant. Number three, sometimes salt was used as an antiseptic to cover a wound. <laughs> now think about that. I cut my finger the other day. We had to go down to Waco to move Cali for the fifth time. <laughs> oh, boy, that's another story. But we were moving Cali, and, and uh, you know, I was doing all the handiwork stuff, hanging stuff, and I, I, did, I made the mistake. I just reached down into my little tool bag, digging for something, and there was a shop, shop object in there, and I, I sliced my finger open, blood went everywhere. And, and, and so I can visually think how it would feel if Angie would have run in there with a salt shaker and just... <laughs> that's what she did. No, no, she didn't do that. But, but that's what it was used for, as an antiseptic. More familiar to us today, salt was also used for seasoning to flavor food. And we know that, don't we? Y'all are killing me, man. Don't we? I got a question for you. How many of you salt your food? Okay, just probably everybody if you're listening to me in a wake. How many of you put the salt on before you even taste it? I mean, before you taste it, you just go ahead and douse it down. About half of you, all right? That doesn't really mean anything other than, you know what? We use salt to season our food. But the main thing 
that Jesus was probably referring to and had in mind was the value of salt in preserving food, especially meat. They didn't have refrigerators or freezers back then, so the way meat was preserved was to cover it in salt. You see, salt penetrates the meat, and salt impacts the meat by delaying the process of decay. Now, when I said that in the first service, everybody went, ooh. So let me read it again. Salt penetrates the meat. Salt impacts the meat by delaying the process of decay. Hang with me. Hang with me. Did you know that there is rampant moral and spiritual decay happening in our world today? Faster than ever before. And the way in which Jesus plans to engage this decay is by taking his salt shakers and pouring us out on a decaying world. Okay? Our lives are to preserve this world. Our lives are used by God to slow down the decaying process in our world. So my question to you is, are you going to live as a preserving influence in our culture, or are you just going to stand by and watch our culture and our morality continue to decay? But here's another thing. If the salt stays in the salt shaker, and it doesn't make any contact with the meat, it can't do its work. Huh? Are you with me? It's important for the salt to make contact with the meat. And if the church stays in its holy huddles all of the time and you don't see your mission field, which is your world, and if you're not used by God to salt this world, and if we're not faithful to Jesus to be the salt in this world, delaying that decaying process, then you know what? This world is just going to continue to fall apart. There's decay in our world. And Jesus means to stop that decay with the salt of believers. But secondly, there's darkness in our world. And Jesus means to confront the darkness with the light that is in our lives. So here's number two of what we do. Not only do we stop the decay but we also confront the darkness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Salt penetrates to preserve. Light penetrates to illuminate. And this is what God had in mind when he sent his son Jesus into the world. Remember Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does light do? Well, it shows people the way, doesn't it? Amen? Light shows us the way. And we do that with our life. But there's more to it than just being a good example. Okay? Jesus was a good example, wasn't he? Jesus walked the walk. But Jesus did more than just be an example. Jesus also talked the talk. And he let his light shine by the words that he said. In church, we must do the same thing. Here's some examples of that. 
We should be the first ones to speak up and encourage people when they're down. We don't keep pushing them down. We encourage them and build them up. We should be the first ones to stop gossip. What did Barney say? Nip it. Nip it in the bud. <laughs> Barney was an influencer in my life right there. Carried his bullet in his pocket. That's, that's smart right there. We should be the first ones to go the extra mile. We should be the first ones to do the unexpected. We should be the first ones who are concerned enough to do something about and speak out about hunger and homelessness and sex trafficking. And here's what's ha going to happen when you allow God to use you as salt and light in our world. Our workplaces are going to be different. Why? Because there's a light there. It's you. Our schools are going to be different. Why? Because the light is there. Our neighborhoods are going to be different. Why? Because there's one house that is a light. And our city is going to be different because our church is there engaging them. You know what? Let the world call us haters. And the world does. They call Christians haters. But we will show them the difference as we serve the hurting of every kind and tell them about the one who can touch every hurt in the human heart. Let them call us narrow-minded. And they do. But we will show them the wide love of Jesus and his unconditional love in proclaiming the good news to everyone who will hear. That's what Jesus had in mind when he talked about what we do. What do we do? We stop the decay and we also confront the darkness. But he goes on here, number three, and tells us what we don't do. What do we, what do we not do? Well, two things. First of all, we don't let our salt lose its saltiness. Verse 13b, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Now, in ancient times, they just had raw salt. And sometimes if you had a bag of salt and other minerals got into that bag of salt, it could contaminate your salt and literally ruin the salt. It was no longer good to taste. It was no longer good to preserve. Why? Because it had become contaminated. It was absolutely good for nothing. Jesus said that. It's good for nothing. The only thing that bag of salt is good for is to be thrown out into your, your yard or the road so that people can walk on it. Literally, he says, it's no longer good for anything. What a sad indictment. For any believer or any church, no longer to be good for anything but to be thrown out. Salt has to stay salty. Man, that's deep right there. <laughs> Can somebody just say amen? Man, that's some theology. Salt has to stay salty. But did you know many believers and a whole lot of churches have lost their saltiness. They're living such ungodly and such compromised lives that there is no difference between them and people of this world. 
I'm just going to stand here and let you think about that for a moment. But it's true. We've compromised the truth. And if there's no difference between you and a lost person, I mean, what, what good is there to tell them about Jesus? They don't see anything different about you. Something else along these lines, I, I stay up with these statistics, and they are growing. Our current generation has been deceived by the devil in saying over 60% of them said that they would not be willing to share their witness, tell other people about Jesus. Why? Because they don't want to offend anyone. Can I tell you, the devil has won that battle. Okay. We live in a generation, let's not offend anybody. And really, the only people who are Offensive or us, Christians. But you know what? That's okay because let me tell you, this book is offensive. That book offends people. And even though I'm going to share the truth with people and tell them that God loves them and not do it in a mean spirit or a negative way, when I confront them with the gospel, most people aren't going to like it. Are you with me? And as churches, We've compromised the truth. We've lost our saltiness. Our light is not shining. And I'm telling you what, it, it is a sad day in God's world when we are not the salt of the earth. When, when we have compromised the truth of the gospel to the point, it no longer can change a person's life because it's irrelevant. You've become irrelevant. We're the salt so he says to us, don't let your salt lose its saltiness. The, the second thing that we don't do is we don't hide our light. Verse 14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the homeland of Jesus, villages and towns were oftentimes built on the top of a hill or the side of a hill. And they were made out of limestone. So when the sun was shining, it, it reflected off the limestone and, and could be seen. And then at nighttime, they would light candles inside of their house, and you could see the, the light of the house from miles away. Matthew 5, 15, Jesus said, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. So, it would be absolutely ridiculous for someone in one of these ancient houses to light a candle in their house and immediately put a bowl over it. Why would you do that? It, why even light the thing if you're going to cover it with a bowl? No. He says, you put it on a lampstand so that everybody in the house can see. In other words, what he is saying is this, don't hide the light. Let the light shine. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to live for Jesus and to speak for Jesus wherever you are. Because let me tell you, a hidden light is a useless light. A hidden witness is a useless witness. And it's no longer good for anything. I didn't do this in the first service, but I'm going to do it for you guys. When, when I'm, I am ashamed of some of the things I did when I was a teenager. I can remember in, in junior high and, and early in high school, we lived in Abilene, Texas for a couple of years, and we went to this little bitty tiny church 
there were just, man, just a handful of people there. The only other person in the youth group was my sister. And I hated her. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have good youth fellowship meetings at all. All right? Church, listen to me. This is your preacher talking to you. I was ashamed of my church. And I can remember, I wouldn't invite anybody to come to church with me because I was ashamed of my church. And I, I, I remember the day I came to that realization. God kind of spoke to me and said, Well, why aren't you inviting your friends to church? And I said, Well, because I'm ashamed of my church. Man, can I tell you what? I hit a low spot right there. You know what I was good for? Nothing. Because I wasn't doing what God made me and called me to do and be. And that is to be a witness for him. I don't care if your church only runs 10 people. I don't care if the only other person in your youth group is your sister. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. There are kids I went to school with who needed Jesus. They needed to be in that youth group. And we would have had a lot more fun had I invited them and they would have come. I could have outvoted my sister. Are you with me? We are called to be salt and light no matter where we are. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Because if you don't speak for Jesus, what good are you? You are salt. You're the salt of the earth. And if you're salt, is it effective? It's good for nothing. You are the light. So is your light shining or is it covered up? Is your light good for something or is it good for nothing? I'm almost finished, but most importantly, Jesus shares with us why we do what we do. It's found in verse 16. He said, in the same way, your light shines before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. To see good works by us is to see Jesus Christ living inside of us. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine. It's not something that we create or something that we make up. It's something we allow the Lord to do in us and through us. It is God's light. It's God's light. And we have the choice. Are we going to let it shine or are we going to cover it up? The purpose of letting our light shine is to reveal the good works of God. It's not to reveal ourselves. It's not to put ourselves on a pedestal. No, letting our light shine is to reveal the goodness of God, to point people to Jesus. And church, that's what it's all about. That's what it means to be salt and light. You're pointing people to Jesus. We're called to do that. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. We are called to do that in our neighborhoods, our schools, at work, at Walmart. We are called to be salt and light in the River Valley, in Panama, and in Puerto Rico. So here's what we're going to do. Invitation is a little bit different today. I'm going to ask all of those of you who are going to Puerto Rico as our summer missionaries 
to come forward right now and just gather along right here. You can kneel down right here. I think James Henry is in the back, but we're, we're praying for James Henry. I'm going to ask his mom and dad to come down here and represent him. We prayed over him this morning. We want you to come right now. Here's our, here's our Puerto Rico group. You guys get down right here and kneel down. And we're going to pray over you and commission you to be salt and light in Puerto Rico. And you're going to do that, church. So you get up right now and you come around these guys, gather around them, and just kind of connect with a hand on a back, okay? So the next row, just pick a person, put your hand on them, and, and we filter through the church doing this. And we're going to ask God to help us be salt and light. Here in the River Valley, in Panama, and in Puerto Rico. Because most of all, what we want is people to hear the good news about Jesus. Amen? You know how you change this world? One person at a time. And we do that with the witness of Jesus Christ. Here comes James Henry. Y'all kind of part the ways and let him get down here, would you? I want him to come right down here. James, we're proud of you, buddy, and, and we're praying for you as you go to Panama. You bet. Here's a couple other guys going to Puerto Rico. Let them in, too. You can just kneel right there. Let's connect right now, and let's bow our heads, and let's pray that God would use all of us as salt and light in the world in which we are to impact. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, reminding us of who we are. We are salt and we are light. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would use us as your salt to stop the decay in this world. I pray that you would use us as your light to lead other people to Jesus Christ. I pray for James Henry, dear Lord, as he goes to Panama. I pray that you would protect him. And dear God, use him as a light in Panama. Help him to remember who he is and where he's from. And then, dear Lord, our, our group that's going to Puerto Rico... Would you bless us with safe travels? And then, dear Lord, when we're there helping Pastor Jose rebuild the church building and as we're doing evangelistic work in the community, I pray that you would allow us to let our lights shine for you and that we would make an impact in Puerto Rico. And then, dear Lord, for the rest of us who are a part of this great church, help us every day to be reminded of who we are. We're your salt. We're your light. And dear Lord, I pray that we would let that light shine in the river valley, that as we impact people, we would influence them with the good news of the gospel. Bless this church, bless our families, our lives, use us in your kingdom, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.